computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a Rangers League basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers League basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, this is our first time recording since Anthony Davis re-aggravated his Achilles injury and will be sitting out until the All-Star break. And we kind of wanted to wait until we saw what they would look like without him, at least for a game against the Timberwolves uh, without D'Angelo Russell. So... What did you think from the game last night? We won 112-104. It was pretty much a close game throughout, but the Lakers, like most games kind of in the early season, put the pedal to the metal like late third, fourth quarter and uh, separated themselves from a really like discombobulated Minnesota team. Tim, I was cracking up at your breakdown of the defensive rotations in the Denver game and kind of the uh, adjustments that they made to try and stymie LeBron and the Lakers. And uh, so what, what did the Timberwolves do to, uh, to do the same? Nothing, not nothing at all. <laughs> it was <laughs> and like, I mean, they played defense, but like we saw Denver like double teaming in different smart ways and stunting on drives and all these other things. They were leaving uh, THT alone, like really aggressively at different points in time. And like, so, like from a game planning standpoint, it was full. They had a lot going on. And then Minnesota ran the same game plan against us that they ran against us last time we played them, that they run against everybody else. And it just, it was, it was too easy. And still the Lakers, it was a close game. So I think it speaks to how important AD is to this team, because this is not a good team we were facing. They were missing a key player. They weren't game planning well. And yet it was still a really close game for throughout. And I think we learned a couple of things. I left watching that film feeling a little bit better about what this team might look like without AD. I think we saw a lot more Gasol, high post passing, low post passing, some delay sets where you have uh, two, it's basically like a, a five out set and you get uh, Gasol the ball at the top of the key and then you have guys cutting and screening. So I liked his involvement. We saw a lot more KCP offense. We saw Schroeder play well. Um, but, but it was one of those games that going into it, I was like, I don't know what we're going to learn today because Minnesota is not going to challenge us in the ways that I'm looking for growth. It's, it's a completely separate, individual, isolated game. And you got the W. That's what you want. We saw LeBron take on a really heavy load and play well. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird game. And I, <laughs> I'm glad we waited instead of tried to preview that uh, because it I don't know. Minnesota played hard. And my boy, Jordan, Jordan McLaughlin, McLaughlin, uh, he uh, he had a nice game. Minnesota's best point guard on the roster showed out yesterday. He did. Uh, 13 points on 5 of 11, shooting 3 for 4 from 3. A 30% usage, which is kind of hilarious. There's like moments, though, Tim, in the fourth quarter where it's like Jordan McLaughlin and Anthony David Edwards, excuse me, Anthony Edwards, or taking like your turn, my turn, and Carl Anthony Towns just like not in the game when the Lakers won on a big run and then just didn't shoot like at all in the fourth quarter, which kind of blows my mind. So, you know, nice win for the Lakers to be able to win it with like, you know, Trez got 17, Schroeder had 24, Gasol had a season high 11. 
So getting some scoring from other places. Keefe obviously hitting three for five from three was nice to see him kind of get back on track. But Tim, I'm curious if like, I don't know how exactly you would quantify this, if they could quantify this, but what I've noticed in the Lakers offense is when LeBron and AD are healthy and on the floor, when one of them kind of gets an advantage, you get double teamed, they swing it out, right? And the role players are really good at swing, swing, skip to get somebody an open three. But if they don't have an open look or kind of an angle to keep that advantage by swinging the ball or shooting themselves, the ball just funnels back to LeBron or Anthony Davis like pretty quickly thereafter, right? And what I noticed is like when they're swinging the ball around a couple times in this game, you see KCP trying to kind of drive and do more than he usually does, like just kind of, you know, keep the options going and not just because it becomes predictable, right? When the teams know like you're either going to shoot or you're going to screw, you're going to swing it, it becomes predictable and they can make those rotations a little bit harder. So that's why sometimes like a fake skip, right, is the right pass. And then you just take the shot. But so I just like Wesley Matthews, KCP, Caruso taking stuff off more off the dribble than you've seen usually. Kuzma, you know, them trying to get into the teeth of the defense and then skip out. So it, it was encouraging in that respect for me to see kind of the other players know they have to put more pressure and be less predictable on like the outside of the three range. Yeah, and that extends beyond just the shooters. For, for THT too, instead of catch and drive immediately, catch in a fake shot or a fake pass. Mm-hmm. We see Schroeder all the time with the fake swing in kind of like a two versus one situation, get the defender to commit to the other player, and then he takes his time, sets up, and and t- takes his three. But like you said, being able to attack off the dribble, having that third threat, you don't just want to be a double threat guy, you need to be a triple threat player. Yeah. Being able to do all three forces it it kind of works with the grain that the defense is giving you unless you just kind of seep through what they're conceding in order to sell out against that that shot so yeah I I like some of that uh not having LeBron and AD LeBron or AD on the court at all times uh means that we're going to get more possessions where at the end somebody's going to have to do something and so at, at least this year is better. This year, the team is better prepared compared to last season, just in terms of having Schroeder, having Harold, having guys that can take those shots if it gets to that point in the possession. And I don't know if, you know, ISO is the number one option, but if you need a backup option, there are, there are worse routes to go. And it's nice to have that luxury of those guys who can just kind of create something on their own and Kuz to a certain extent as well. And THT for that matter. Mm-hmm. So really quick on THT, he really only had the the one shift, I think, in like the second quarter. They didn't play him in the second half. It was Wesley Matthews getting like 22 minutes. Do you think that was a, a symptom of the, the matchup or you think that the Lakers and Vogel are starting to realize some of like how I maybe not against Minnesota, but teams kind of clog up the paint and sag off THT and his shooting has still not been great. He's six minutes in this game, two shots, negative eight overall and zero points. So bit of a rough shift for THT. I don't know. Did you see anything particularly like why he got benched in his play? I didn't notice anything that stood out in a way where Frank Vogel maybe going into the game thought he would play more, but he saw something so egregious in that one stint that he said, man, this guy can't go back out there. And Minnesota isn't the type of team from a game planning standpoint that would have presented a situation to Vogel where he said, all right, this guy's unplayable. Against Denver, there were times on film I was like, man, like THC is not helping us right now. This is with the way they're playing against him. 
he's actively hurting the team unless unless we start countering it a little bit more. But we weren't at that point. So this almost seemed kind of like an ex- extension from that, even though we didn't quite need to be as afraid of it. And Minnesota didn't put us in similar situations. So I don't know exactly what to take away from that. I think Wes Matthews, I mean, he had a couple of good games coming back initially. He wasn't lighting the world on fire or anything this, this game against Minnesota. So it's not a situation where he was showing out superstar type stuff and you like said oh he's hot we have to sit THT so I'm not sure exactly what it was um but to answer your question no I didn't really see anything that was too bad from THT in that game no fair enough I'm just curious that how this post AD lineup shakes out a little bit because uh I mean really quick before we like talk only about the Minnesota game we'll preview the the Nets and the Heat coming up here as well but I don't do you take a ton away from that Denver game where Anthony Davis got hurt uh, and it kind of just got away from the Lakers kind of wind got taken out of their sails. But uh, Denver is a good team. Do you take anything like major away from that game before we just uh, forget about it? I I'm not sure that there was too much that was like brand new to me uh, in ways that I wasn't really expecting i don't know they they game planned well they attacked things that we're not good at and once ad went out like that certainly hurt the lakers but there was plenty not going well in that game to start with even when he was playing that that are concerning to me the la we have figured out how to counter the high side dig down on the post-ups we've kind of figured out how to counter when the opposing team is helping from the baseline but when they do both we were throwing we were trying to put the wrong peg in in the wrong hole Hmm. uh and did that repeatedly and it wasn't working um stunting against lebron isolations this is actually something brooklyn does a good job of countering offensively we haven't done a good job of countering so that was concerning um putting two guys on LeBron in his inverted ball screens and then just kind of living with us attacking four on three. It's worked for a lot of defenses. So LA might want to rethink how we approach that inverted ball screen. And that's still something we can do even with AD out of games moving forward. And then the aggressively helping off of THT. I think that was the one new thing where we've seen teams get more and more blatant with it. And we kind of talked about it a couple of weeks ago of like, Hey, this could be an issue him and Caruso. They they've done well, but they might not do well as long as teams start game planning better. And over time, we've seen their offensive rating as a duo drop over and over and over again. And at this point, I haven't looked at it today, but before last game, it was one of the lowest among our two man groups who've played like 100 or 200 minutes or something like that. Um, so teams are starting to figure us out a bit and it's on L.A. to start coming up with new solutions. So that was really what I took away from that Denver game. They, they played us really, really well and uh, won a hard-fought game. All right, good stuff. I just didn't want to we, – we hadn't gotten a chance to pot about that, and I do take some things away, but I do feel a little bit that once it got to the point where AD was out, the game was effectively over, and Lakers just kind of like, let's let's get out of here with no more injuries and we'll regroup and and move forward from there. But – a couple things, Tim, I found interesting in the little breakdown uh, of the game. Minnesota, <laughs> what do you think their shooting percentage at the rim was uh, last night, Tim? I'll say 50. It was 43.8%. Ooh, that's bad. They that's were f- really, really bad. They were 14 at, for 32 at the rim with five shooting fouls drawn. And alternatively, the Lakers were 69.6%, 16 for 23 with five shooting fouls drawn. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, an advantage. 
absolutely. I, I saw something. Uh, someone tweet, tweeted out that Anthony Edwards is finishing at the rim when Carl Anthony Towns is playing. He, it's like seventy five percent, and when he's on the court without Towns, it's like. 40 percent or something like that so that's a duo they haven't played as much together this year as as we would love to see just with injuries and whatnot but uh they've got some exciting things to look forward to in the future this year they're just not not quite all together yeah Uh, that's a really interesting stat that you pointed out i didn't realize it was that bad yeah no i mean and really quick what do you what did you think about anthony edwards's game I, i thought he played pretty well it's still puzzling to me why you're trying to go to him down the stretch like you know, to keep a close game close and you have Carl Anthony Towns on your team, you know, that is basically the most efficient big men, like, you know, from all areas of on the court. But give credit to Mark. I thought Mark played him straight up well. He got beat, you know, coming out and, uh, you know, Cat's great at putting the ball on the on the floor and attacking the rim. But what did you think about Anthony Edwards? Just kind of like generally no data, just just instinct reactions to him. I thought he played well. He may not be all that efficient right now. It's not a fantastic situation, but he's going to get a ton of volume. He's flashing the talent. He's showing why he was picked as high as he was picked. And I don't know if he should have been the number one pick, but he's certainly a very talented offensive player. He hit some. He hit that one shot right in LeBron's face yeah. uh, in, in, in that ISO situation. So he's he's done some things that are exciting. He took on some tough defensive matchups. No data. I'm just I, I I'm impressed with the kid. He's got plenty of room for growth. He's not he's going to show up really low in our like LeBron ratings and stuff like that this year. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a bright future ahead of him. That's that would be what I'd have to say. I know. I like him. I like his personality. It, you know, weird that he uh, kind of got a bad rap coming out for not loving the game and having a good attitude because it really seems like he does. So I I like him. I'll be keeping my eye on him. But he's the kind of guy that you don't really expect to be like amazing coming into the league right away they got some stuff to figure out but good win for the lakers moving on tim we play the brooklyn nets tomorrow on thursday and it was a really exciting awesome like you know look forward to possibly a finals matchup but now it won't have anthony davis and well, at least last night, Kyrie Irving has been missing some time as well. They eked out a win against the Suns uh, last night, 128-104, or excuse me, 128-124. So the Nets, man, are you optimistic about how the Lakers might be able to match up with them, uh, Sans Anthony Davis? I am not. <laughs> I do not anticipate <laughs> we're going to win this game. I guess if you were to think on the bright side – Brooklyn, of of all the teams, they do not do much helping from the post or from ISO. So if LeBron decides he's going to go post somebody up and it's a pick a defender kind of situation, I, I think like every defender on this entire roster except for DeAndre Jordan has like a negative defensive impact this season. So he has <laughs> options. Some guys are better than others. Like KD's not a pushover. They have a couple guys that can defend a little bit. But it, LeBron, especially against a team that switches a ton, will be able to pick some matchups. ISO or post up and not see a bunch of extra help. I think Brooklyn for a team that is weaker from a defensive personnel standpoint, they don't do nearly enough to try to prop up what they could be defensively by playing more aggressively, 
blitzing and attacking passing lanes. There are some things they don't do that I'm actually surprised with, but they switch a lot on ball. They switch a lot off ball. DeAndre Jordan's going to drop whenever he's involved in something. So we can get a lot of LeBron pick and roll where he's getting open threes against that drop, or he's able to attack in mismatches in ISO. They'll they'll let him do his thing. And that's why this team's so bad defensively. Um, Now, offensively, I think we're in trouble. (laughs) This is a team that... About 10, 12 times a game, they're going to isolate. And almost every single one of those times, it's Harden or Kyrie or Kevin Durant. So if Kyrie is out, that's helpful. Um, But those are three guys right there that are scoring above 1.25 points per possession each in isolation. All three of them. 1.25 points per possession in ISO, generally one of the least efficient play types. If they were a transition offense, they would be the number one, two, and three transition offenses in the league. Like playing with the numbers, having Harden ISO this year or KD or Kyrie is like having a numbers advantage attacking in transition. It's crazy. Um, So that's going to be troublesome. They do a lot to get switches. It's not just, oh, well, don't switch. You know, there's your answer. Um, They do a lot to force you to switch. So some teams will like auto switch. They'll run these like ball screens, inverted ball screens. And like Phoenix was just giving switches up. Um, I call it auto switching. I think we used to call it soft switching when I was in college. Um, You have to make them fight for those. That'll save you a couple of game. But when they want to, they can. If you're going to catch hedge, they'll string that out. If you're going to play drop coverage, they'll penetrate against your big man under control and then back it up, drag him back out and then isolate. Um, They'll run some Jeff Green inverted pick and roll, the same as we saw with Houston last year. Uh, They will run ghost screens and some of those inverted ball screens to try to get some some guard guard or wing guard or man guard switches so there's a lot they'll try uh it's going to come down to how well the lakers can defend one-on-one and i think we have a lot of good one-on-one defenders i think kuzma i think caruso i think lebron i think west matthews uh, we have a lot of guys that can defend well ad's we're really going to miss him he would have been very useful in this matchup gasol in one-on-one against these guys i'm worried about trez in one-on-one against these guys i'm worried about um kcp i think is someone that in this matchup against like kd or harden i worry about him in one-on-one situations so you can just kind of live with it and see what happens. It may not be great. Or you can try to bring some extra help. And we see teams, we saw Phoenix last night. They brought some extra help. They were stunting really, really hard, really aggressively, where it wasn't quite a double team, but they had a guy just like two steps back, just kind of waiting for you to try to drive. And if you drove, he would he would be there, almost like a, a, a catch hedge without the ball screen at all. And when you do things like that, what Brooklyn will do to counter that is they'll set pin and flare screens on those stunts, um, which you just kind of have to fight through and rotate. And I think I'd rather live with sending extra help, them countering it, and then us scrambling to recover than just letting them, like just like sitting back as a coaching staff and letting them attack an ISO. So that that's, I think, what I'm really looking out for from the Lakers defensively and then offensively. Do you kind of do the same sort of thing? it's one of those teams where it's like, all right, well, based on how they play defense, you kind of just have to beat them in ISO. You have to beat them in a, in a 1v1 game on both ends of the court, but defensively send help. Offensively, if they're going to switch, you know, slip those, get some some rolls. It hurts that we don't have lob threats this year, um, offensively and defensively as, as uh, rim protectors. Um, we really don't have much shot blocking at all in this game, honestly, in terms of like guys that can come out of nowhere and, and block shots. So that's going to hurt. Um this is another game where Gasol's playmaking can matter a lot. 
Uh, we saw them do that against Minnesota in this game. If he's attacking uh, from the high post or the perimeter as a passer and uh, Brooklyn is switching screens, those slips after you set the screen should be open on occasion. So look for plays like that. Look for those slips and those those seals to generate offense rather than just every switch turning into like a LeBron isolation. Oh, I like that. It's either way, it's going to be tough because, uh, you know, you're probably going to be asking Kyle Kuzma to guard Kevin Durant, you know, in that starting lineup. And uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly the team we're going to be playing for Brooklyn. I'm assuming, you know, KD has been out as well. He missed that Suns game. It was just James Harden going off for 38 that kind of powered them to that victory. I mean, they had really good performances from Joe Harris. Tyler Johnson scored 17. You know, Jeff Green is 18. Landry Shaman had 13. So they shot the ball well from three last night, uh, 20 for 40 as a team. I don't think it's going to be 50 percent the whole or, you know, against the Lakers per se. But the Nets are, you know, the second best offense uh, per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. They have 120 offensive rating, first in effective field goal percentage, and they are fourth in free throw rate, Tim. And there's a couple things for both teams as far as like strategy that stand out to me and where these two teams fall. So the Lakers are 25th in percentage of their possessions that end in a turnover. They've been turning the ball over like crazy this year. And the Nets defense don't turn teams over. They're 29th in the league at 12% percent of their defensive possessions that end in a turnover. So the Lakers turn it over a lot. The, the Nets aren't good at turning teams over. So the Lakers are probably going to make the Nets look better than they are. And getting those guys in transition is even harder to contain them, right? When they're able to get an advantage and mm-hmm. and keep it and just score in transition. So I'm keeping an eye on that. And the other thing I'm looking at is, and these three superstars, all of them, well, except Kyrie is just okay at dr- drawing fouls. So they have the fourth best free throw rate on offense. And on defense, the Lakers have the fourth best free throw rate. They don't foul very often. So that's kind of like another side of the coin where the Lakers might help themselves at limiting something that the net. And now this is with Anthony Davis for the most part, right? Their defensive statistics. What's going to give there, do you think, on those two kind of like sides of the matchup? I, I never trust the Lakers to not turn the ball over. Right. Um, I think the fact that Brooklyn doesn't do a lot creatively on defense may mean that the Lakers turn it over a little bit less than they normally would. Um, we will still see unforced turnovers. We'll still see unforced errors, but I think LA can rein in the turnovers a little bit against this team based on how they play defense and based on where the ball will likely be. If they're switching a lot, we're probably going to get a lot more LeBron attack somebody in ISO than we are going to be just like running through sets and having all kinds of different things happen. Um, what was it? the other one was free throw rate. Mm-hmm. And so I think the nets are going to draw a lot of fouls. Yeah. I, think that you know when they push they will when they're isolating they're going to try to la needs to try not to foul because that big man rotation is very thin right now and if gasol gets three early fouls it's not going to be a good night defensively uh so that's something that i would be keeping an eye on i worry about that more than the turnovers what i'm curious about is does frank vogel look at this game as a a chance to try to run some zone because 
if mm. especially if you don't want to have your big man defending an iso that might be a way to try to keep some shot blocking around the rim uh brooklyn's been worse attacking an iso than they have just against man-to-man defense i think it i mean it requires a little bit more creative thinking and we've seen uh, a d'antoni offense struggle with some creative defense in the past so i don't know if la will show that this game you're probably not gonna win either way and it's early regular season so i don't know but if this were a playoff matchup that would be something i'd be looking more seriously into okay yeah that's just i agree i i'm i'm trying to like look at these teams kind of as they are full strength and i just don't think that's the matchup we're gonna get so it's really hard Mm -hmm. to predict i mean i do think the lakers will probably foul more than usual because you know if healthy they have some of the best foul drawers on on earth so yeah it is what it is you know and lebron is is in that category as well i'm really curious tim to see how like the trez jeff green like second unit big man matchup late falls you know falls Mm -hmm. out so like trez has got size and can obviously bully jeff green a little bit from the dunker spot and maybe be able to finish because this nets team doesn't really have rim protecting right yeah, this is a team that uh, Trez should be able to attack in the post, and I think Schroeder can have a really good game, either with switching and him driving by bigs, or if they're playing drop coverage, which is the other thing they'll do, it'll be giving up those mid-range shots that he likes. So I like a lot of that. What that might also give up are some of those Trez short roll, push shot uh, sorts of shots, and because they don't have great rim protection, I, I think he'll be more comfortable and, and be hitting more of those. So I like our like looking of all the different teams we could be playing and need to find points with ad being out i think this is a game that for our bench lines up pretty well and maybe not our our bench per se but uh schroeder and trez being some of those new sources of of increased points as possessions get reshuffled i think they match up pretty well against this team and uh i'm I'm looking through brooklyn's offensive profile they have the second best offense on uh less than four seconds left on the shot clock shots which makes sense you know we see teams struggle to figure out what are we going to do now they have three guys on the court a lot of times you just throw it to any of them and they'll go iso and it's going to be tough it's not going to be fun defensively this is just going to be one where you have to outscore them and la is going to be fighting an uphill battle if they can if we can win this they'd be really impressive and it's yeah how it's number one defense versus the number two offense right and so it's something's got to give there obviously the lakers without their best defensive player but their defense comes from scheme and they play as a connected unit. And that is one of their strengths. So, you know, seeing Alex Caruso play the last couple of games, he's looked good coming back from a couple of games off. He's going to annoy the shit out of one of Kyrie Irving or James Harden or both. Right. And mm-hmm. probably same with Schroeder. So I like, I like what Schroeder and Trez and some of the additions provide an advantage for the Lakers against a team like the Nets where they might not so clearly provide an advantage against some other playoff teams, but against the nets. Yeah. I think those guys change the calculus. Like do the Lakers with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard beat the nets? I don't know, man. I don't know if they have the the firepower, you know, like like sheer offensive output. Yep. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. So I don't know. We could keep talking about the nets, but I'm curious to move on to the finals rematch tim so let's take a quick break here and we'll come back and preview that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and we are back from our break. Tim, we matched up here with Brooklyn, who a lot of people have in the finals this year. And we also matched up with the Heat this week, who we had the finals just yesterday, it seems like. Jeez. But it has been a rough start to the season for the Heat. They stand as of now at 11 and 16. They are, man, they're 23rd in the league in differential, negative 3.4. 25th in offense, 11th in defense, which you'd expect this team to be good in that department. But they've been shuffling, you know, Butler's missed time, Heroes missed time. A lot of guys have missed time. They are still kind of incorporating, like Bradley's out now. They're still incorporating Harkless and Presses Achua into the lineup. So honestly, I haven't had a chance to watch too many of their games. I think I've seen one this season, Tim. But what's kind of your takeaway for like, is this still the same like finals caliber team like this year, you think? Or are they just marred by injuries? I think they're a little bit marred by injuries. I, I can't give you a great answer. Like right now, they're not. Right now, they're not a finals caliber, caliber team. Check in two months from now and the answer might be a little bit different. But they certainly haven't been performing at that level so far this year. And I haven't gotten a chance to watch a bunch of Miami, but when I was going through some film and looking at some data, they do a lot of interesting things. They do a lot that stands out. They play a lot of zone. The only team that plays more zone than them is Charlotte. And their defense is good. Their man-to-man defense is eh. Their zone defense is very good. And so that's something you got to be ready to attack. So that, that I believe will be a big point of emphasis for the Lakers in whatever little practice time they have before this game. Gasol in the high posts, you know, passing the cutters or LeBron, you know, another thing to mention about this and same as last year, when they play their two, three zone, they'll put their wing players at the top right. and then they'll put their little guys on the back in the wings. So posting up those wings with LeBron makes a lot of sense that's just conceding a, a mismatch or you can try to overload different sides on the perimeter where you can have like Harrell in the short corner dump it off to him and he can be attacking the the rim they have a good shot blocker and bam out of bio so that's something to watch out for but i think gasol high post Harrell short corner lebron attacking from the wings or either of those other two places i think la has enough um to be able to attack this zone defense as long as they're organized and against Minnesota, who actually did run some zone, which I was surprised by. Uh, We saw the Lakers be pretty organized and attack that in smart ways. So I feel good about that. Another weird thing, well, not weird, but another notable thing that Miami does is they double a lot. So Brooklyn doesn't double. Miami's going to double a lot in the post and in isolation. They're going to send those digs from the high side. They're going to send baseline help. They'll mix it up. So it's not the same all the time. So 
if you're not reading it right, you can be running the wrong counter for the type of defense they're showing you. So that's just smart coaching from them. Um, nobody doubles more on isolations, and it's similar to the post doubles. They'll send baseline help or they'll stunt on drives. So it's stuff we've seen before. You just have to be ready to execute, and they'll do those sorts of things. And against the Lakers, that's going to hurt Trez. That's going to hurt LeBron. Um these are the situations where if we're not ready and we're not running the right counters and executing well, it can get a little bit ugly offensively. So you got to be ready for a lot of weird things that they do. They're a tough team to play against because you have to game plan against the zone, which you don't have to do every day. You have to game plan against ISO doubles and post-up doubles, which you don't have to do every day. And for the Lakers who do those two things a lot, you've got to be very ready. So in a way, this is going to test us in similar ways that like Denver did that we struggled with. Um, LA can stand up to that test, but this defense is going to be uh, a challenging one to play against. One of the hardest we've had to game plan against, I think. And we've seen them kind of adjust. They've taken their finals, you know, Tyler Hero starting and and continue that and tried to expand some of his game and playmaking and putting him more in charge of the offense. And he's had good spots and bad spots. I have him on my fantasy team, so I do know night in, night out what Tyler <laughs> Hero is doing, but. Uh, Tim, I just want to share this. I found this pretty interesting as far as taking threes uh, per cleaning the glass this season. The Heat are top five in all uh, corner threes, non-corner threes, all threes, top five in mm. frequency. So they take top five in the most amount of threes, right? But overall, all threes, they're 25th in the league as a team at 35.6%. So they're shooting a lot of threes and they're not shooting particularly well okay on the alternative side they're the best shooting team in the league at the rim 69.5 percent so they're when they get to the rim they're gonna convert and they have got you know Dragic is good bam jimmy obviously when they're healthy but they only get to the rim 29 percent of the time which is 26th in the league so you're seeing kind of uh, what they do well versus like how what they do the most. And, and there's a divergence there. And maybe they're trying to find their final playoff form and, and work through the bumps. But, you know, if they're making threes, I'll just say that if they're going to make their threes, the Lakers will be in trouble because they get they take a lot of them and they generally don't make a ton of them. So if they're shooting 40 percent, you know, it might be like a huge cause for concern for this team. Yeah. And I would rather live with that, given how the Lakers like to defend and know that it's a team that is trying to generate threes than a team that's going to kill us in the paint all the time, uh, yeah. especially given our weaknesses, our strengths. With how they they play, and I just pulled up their their team three point shot making is fifteenth, so they're gonna get about what they should be getting given the the shot quality available to it them. Like and completely averages out, yeah, yeah. And they have some guys like Duncan Robinson's like a top five three point shot maker, and then yeah. they have other guys that aren't gonna be hitting shots all that well. Um, but when you look at their offense. Butler is a guy in the pick and roll that you can just kind of drop against. Um, he hasn't been hitting the pull-ups this year. Hero and Dragic, if we catch hedge against them and take away the one thing they're trying to do there, which is those pull-up shots, they shouldn't fare all that well in ball screens. Um, they score a lot and generate a lot of those good shots by attacking drop coverage, collapsing the defense, kicking it out, have smart, you know, one more type passing and then generating threes or a lot from handoffs with Bam Adebayo, which is something that they did last year. It's something they're doing this year. Uh, Duncan Robinson is a big beneficiary of those. So it's similar stuff to the finals team. I think we're well set up schematically in a regular season setting to defend a lot of it. Um, 
Robinson, someone that can just go off with a bunch of threes hero, somebody that like we gave him so much crap last year in the playoffs and with Dragic being out, like he was slotted into a role that made him look really, really poor in the, in the finals. He's gotten better. He is among all the players in the league looking at our LeBron impact metric. He has risen. I think it was 10th or 12th most of any player in the league defensively, which was a big weakness of his. Um, he's continuing to get better. I see why Miami fans believe in him. Um, Again, it's going to be a challenging game, but I'm more worried about the game planning on the defensive end than the offensive end. Or I'm sorry, on the offensive end attacking their defense than defending gotcha. defending their offense. I think we have the right scheme. The right players can execute well, even without AD to be able to defend this team. You just have to watch out for those bam slips and those short rolls. He's still not quite a short roll playmaker, but he's a good short roll scorer. Um, so the back end rotations getting over there, tagging that role, man, is going to be really, really important this game. Man, yeah, just looking too. Like this team's all over the map. Their defense, they allow the second most shots at the rim, 29% of their shots. The Lakers are going to get a ton of points in the paint, I think, in this matchup, uh, even without Anthony Davis. So what do you think, Tim, in these two matchups? Like, uh, I think one and one, you know, is, is I got three and one right last week. Nailed it. It's so difficult, you know, such a hot take, but think i'm going one and one here i do i i'm less optimistic about the brooklyn matchup yeah i think i'll go one and one and one as well i think miami isn't playing up to their peak form just yet and that that bodes well for the lakers and i mean depending on the injury situation with brooklyn maybe that's another when you can squeak out but i think if you leave this week going one and one and building off of things implementing more gasol playmaking and that could be a long-term sustainable thing that doesn't have to be a 80s out so we need offense kind of thing if we can use this to push the offense forward and leverage that skill set that we know has been there but just hasn't been tapped into as much and generate good offense for for teammates against man against a zone against both of these teams i think that can be a really positive thing that we leave these couple games uh thinking and then attacking switches is the other big concept like if i'm if i'm looking at like what i'm trying to get out of these games it's all playmaking and then how are we going to attack switches is it just all right we're going to pull it back out in the iso with lebron or are we going to be slipping those are we going to be sealing um with a team like Brooklyn that uh, switches off ball a bunch, you can do different things to seal the screeners and then slip to the rim. Uh, Miami switches more on ball. Um, they don't run like any drop coverage either. They're going to blitz a good bit. So this is uh, just like we were talking about in the last pod. If the Lakers were to be blitzing and how you try to beat it, slip the, that roll man, have an outlet pass on the perimeter, get it quickly over to them and then have them hit that roll man instead of trying to make some under pressure sort of shot. So, be ready to attack that kind of defense. They're going to swish a lot. They're going to blitz a lot. One and one feels good to me. Two and zero oh seems attainable, but it's not the likeliest of outcomes. I will say LeBron has been playing really well uh, last couple of games, at least kind of mm-hmm. staying in MVP form. And Tim, really quick before we go, I want to ask you, this is not on our, our, our rundown. It's not just off the cuff. There have been a lot of, scuttlebutt out there about now that Anthony Davis might be out for a few weeks to a month should the Lakers you know sign Blake Griffin when he gets bought maybe maybe Andre Drummond Ooh, Trevor Ariza's out there Tim so we've had a couple light conversations about buyout guys and options and how you know we didn't really think it was viable because the playing time wasn't there now it's there at least for a little while 
So is any of the reports out there interest you? Do you hate any of them? Do you do you are you intrigued by any of them just off uh, your, your initial reaction? So I don't think Drummond's going to get bought out. I think they're going to try to trade him and he's good enough to, to be worth a trade. I don't think that's going to end up with a buyout. But if he does get bought out, I'd be interested. If AD's out and, and he can fill a big man role, there, there might be some interest. Then you may slot Trez as a power forward. I don't know. The, the fit might be a little bit clunky, but he's good. Um, Blake, Blake, was, Blake had a really good career. Blake Whoa, is he's not, not the same player. He's not dead, but he is not the same. I'm sorry, that came off the wrong way. He is not the same physically. He's had just been the worst right, injury luck. Right. Yeah. The injury luck just has been horrible. He just, as recent as like, I think like two years ago, three years ago, like powered that team to the playoffs and put up crazy performances. And they, they I think they fought like the Clippers in the first round. And like he was doing everything he could with that team. He's is just not the same player. He, over the past two seasons, is like not hitting his threes not he's like not dunking he's, he's no longer doing not big man stuff like he's running ball screens and like spotting up is his offense now and it's he's just not that same guy so i'm not as interested there and looking at his contract like i don't even know if a buyout is is possible with that team given how much money they have to pay him uh so i don't know what's going to happen they don't even have like they can't stretch his contract given their cap situation um so I don't think that might happen. And then Ariza, yeah, if he's available, I'll take him. He doesn't fill the like the AD void, but maybe you slot Kuz or Wes up a little bit more and you play a little bit smaller, but you add another wing 3 and D type of guy. And I haven't been keeping up with Ariza so far this season, but that's, I think, what you'd be hoping to get with a player like him. And he's good enough that if he's available, I'd go after that. And then if someone else becomes available, that's a better fit. Maybe you cut a reason and go for them. But again, LA hard caps. I don't even know when we're able to get a free agent and how much money we're able to spend. I know we had to wait until a certain point. I think it might've been in February though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, apparently I think Quinn Cook's contract becomes guaranteed on the 24th and somewhere around then. So like last week of February, the Lakers are able to sign like a you know, minimum contract for the rest of the season that mm-hmm. falls underneath the hard cap. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't have the highest of hopes. I don't think there's like a perfect fit sort of player. I think you'd be looking for like a power forward rather than Drummond. Um, and I don't see that coming up on the buyout market anytime soon, but keep an eye out. Maybe something will fall into our lap. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I'm not getting too engaged with that stuff because Blake's not the same guy. Drummond's not a great fit and I don't think he'll get bought out. And I don't know. Like I, I think all three of those guys have a better chance of being traded than bought out. Honestly. There are teams that should be interested. It's I think Drummond's trying to get his way to the Nets, but they can't trade for that contract. Like even with DeAndre Jordan and plus filler, you know, they're not going to give up Joe Harris or something important for Drummond in a season. Mm -hmm. So a buyout's kind of the only way forward, but I think it's possible that this that one of them or both of them gets bought out. I think a little bit I think it's possible a little more than you. Yes, it's a high dollar amount, but Detroit can make money from it still like they will save money. You know, it depends on how much, you know, I'm not expecting Blake is going to give up like $10 million, but if the Pistons can save themselves a couple million, whatever Blake will recoup from the minimum contract, then I think they're happy to do it and just kind of part ways because like, yeah. Did, did you see what Draymond said kind of about like the hypocrisy of teams? 
you know, like when Blake got benched, Drummond got benched. But when like James Harden asked for a trade and kind of dogs it, he's like crucified in the media. But did you see that rant from Draymond? I didn't watch it. I saw some quotes from it. And I, I think he does have a point in the way that people with situations like this or like players like leaving just in general. There's such a like we go after not we, but people go after individual players when they aren't happy with their situation and they want to sign somewhere else, even if they're like a free agent and have all the right in the world to do so. Or yeah. if they do try to force a trade compared to when teams make trades and just completely move people's lives and families and all that stuff as soon as like this, I mean, and we, and we go after the Celtics when they do stuff like the Isaiah Thomas thing, but like there are situations where teams are doing things that aren't really all that admirable or they're acting in similar ways. It's not necessarily that it's bad and we should yeah. be unhappy about yes. everybody, but like, that's the game. That's, yes. that's part it's of it. It's a this. business. Yes. Yeah. So people, I mean, it's an, we're in a narrative driven world. People are going to be happy and sad about stuff all the time, but it, that's just, that's just the game. So let's say really quick. And I know we're just kind of going off now. We, uh, we're not at an hour yet. I'm just kind of BSing, but Say the Nets get Andre Drummond and don't lose anything besides a roster spot. And we saw them just add Noah Vonley and Andre Roberson recently to try and just have another body that, you know, is is alive out there. That's not, you know, fucking Chris Chioza. Uh, mm-hmm. I know he's a guard, but still, you, you get my, my point. Yeah. Uh, so does that change your view of the Nets, uh, like, outlook at all? I think it would help. I would want to see if they're able to harness all of that because they haven't done a good job so far of optimizing the defensive talent they have available to them. Not that it's good, but they just haven't done schematically the things I would have interest in seeing. So I do think those would help. If they can be like an average defense, I think they become the title favorite. So between if they can make an addition or two and then still retain their offensive capabilities – yeah, I mean, this is a team that like there may be a move away from from being the favorite for me over the Lakers um, just because of how nuts, like how bonkers this offense is. And it's not like, oh, man, they run this one play that's hard to stop. Like they have three guys scoring, again, 1.25 points per possession or above in isolation on high volume. And that's just every team's going to have a defender or two you can go after when you have a, a, like a, a – point guard a combo guard and like a i don't know tweener, tweener probably doesn't have the right connotation but kd is a, a bigger wing i guess um there's they're going to be able to go after every team that's out there in isolation especially in a playoff more iso heavy kind of world so if they can figure their defense out they have like a legit shot of winning the title so yeah i, I have a close eye on what they're doing if roberson like if he looks good that's that's worrisome for me as a Lakers fan. If they can get Drummond for free, that is worrisome. And like he has his own weaknesses, but compared to their starting point, he would be a big step forward for them right. defensively. Yeah, and it's like what they have offensively could be, you know, one of the best offenses of all time we've seen. So basically, like their equation to winning is we just have to not be the worst defense of all time, basically. You know, you know, like we just don't have to be the absolute worst on one end of the court. And one Andre Drummond might might help that. They might just be like third worst in the league and that might be good enough. Yeah, I mean, if you can put another rim protector kind of guy on this team and even if they just like run two, three zone all the time. Like, yeah, 
I feel like that would be better than what they're doing. Or if they just start aggressively trapping everything and, and jumping passing lanes. And I don't know. There are things they should be trying. Because if I were them, I'd be thinking right now, like, we cannot squander what we have right now. This offense is too good for us to just kind of sit back and be be complacent with the, our defense being this poor. We have to find a way from a coaching standpoint to spark something and make ourselves a more challenging question because right now teams are just putting up crazy numbers against this defense. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really fun to watch. They're an interesting team to watch if you like buckets, mm-hmm. but we don't know yet what Steve Nash looks like as a, a chess player, as an adjuster. We yeah. know, obviously we've got Mike D'Antoni and a lot of experience on that bench, but defensively, do those guys have enough to move the pieces around in the postseason and just just hold the levy, you know, just not give up 130 points in regulation every night. Right. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what that chess playing looks like. I think one thing that will benefit the Nets more than the Lakers, more than some other teams, is their bench is like not, not good. Their bench is really yeah. bad. And when we go to a playoff environment and they shorten that bench – Instead of just like cutting two like okay contributors out of out of the rotation, they're cutting like two not good players. And the more percentage of your possessions those three guys are going to make up, the better your offense is going to be. So they have further steps they can take on offense. We talked about like Tyler Johnson putting up 17. Like Tyler Johnson might not play in the playoffs. Like there are some guys that, you know, they'll take what they can get right now, but realistically, once it comes down to these important games, we're going to see probably a shorter rotation from this team and it should benefit them much more so than the Lakers cutting like THT or cutting like if the if the Lakers go down from 9 men to 8 men, they're cutting a good player. If they go from 10 to 9, they're cutting a good player. 11 to 10, they're cutting a good player. Um, And, you know, not all 11 guys have looked good at all points in the season, but these are solid NBA contributors. And I think, like, Milwaukee, their bench isn't as good as as it has been in the past, so them shortening helps them, and the Clippers bench has been bad, so them shortening kind of helps them. So we're in a weird position. Like, earlier in the season, it was the, oh, well, 3 through 11, the Lakers look great. Yeah, well, now it's not 3 through 11. It'll be, like, 3 through 8 or 3 through 9 or – like maybe three through seven, like yep. that's it's a, a ty- it's a shift that negatively impacts us relative to some of the other contending teams. All right, man. I think that's a good place to end it there. One thing I'm just going to promote really quick. You and I are going to hop on uh, the Nick Jaley pod uh, coming out this Monday. And Nick has a slew of Sacramento Kings themed question. That's his team. So we match up with them. Actually, we didn't think we did, but apparently it was a game added, I think, because Sacramento had a couple games with Memphis. So like they just kind of added a game quickly before the end of the all-star, you know, before the all-star break. So yeah, we're going to hop on talk Lakers and Kings with Nick. That shall be coming out Monday, but uh, until then, man, let's go Lakers and get some wins. We'll talk to you guys next time.